to Online for Authors, where I, Terry M. Brown, author of character-driven fiction and host of the podcast, introduce readers to characters they'd love to invite to lunch by interviewing authors, discussing their books, learning about the writing process, and even, on occasion, chatting live with a panel of authors to discuss topics relevant to both readers and writers. My guest today on Online for Authors is William Yeski military veteran and author of the book, Damn the Valley. I found Damn the Valley to be a tough read because it detailed the tour of two fury into Afghanistan. Half the team was wounded or killed. Those who survived now live with the consequences of what they did and saw while protecting our country. Will was one of the members of the team and, though he states that he's not an author, he believed that the story, one the media barely mentioned, needed to be told. Why? So others would know of the sacrifices made and that these sacrifices would not be in vain. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Online for Authors. Today, I have William Yeski, the author of Damn the Valley. Welcome, Will. How are you doing? It's good to be here. Oh, I'm so glad to have you. Um, just to kind of give the listeners an idea of what we're going to be talking about today, give me your elevator pitch for what Damn the Valley is about. Oh, man. So Damn the Valley was a book about a combat deployment. I was on with the 82nd Airborne back in 2009 to 2010 time period. So this was during the Kandahar Surge. And, you know, on this particular deployment, you know, it's a uh, conventional with a really good unit, though. The 82nd Airborne kind of sets itself apart from the rest. But um, even that being even said is that I mean, we suffered a 52 percent casualty rate during that deployment, which is something that's just it's unheard of. And really, the the work that we did over there and the work, the different experiences that we had, it really left such a mark on everybody this thing was so easy for me to write just because of that story was in there and after you know 13 years of it being locked away it just kind of flowed out so what you have in in front of you is i mean the book damn the valley but there's also been really i've tried to during it just make an all-encompassing this has turned into something to where i've had to hold myself to the fire but it's been so worth it you know, in getting the DOD approval process, in pushing stuff forward to the the museum that I was just at this last weekend. So, I mean, people can actually see the things that are discussed in this book in person, you know, and then the massive undertaking of the social media for the last year. We've been posting daily since February and people are like, where did all this stuff come from? I, I've literally been contacted by units that were there prior us and after us. And they were just like, whoa, like the amount I know these places. I've seen these places. Like, when were you there? And it's it's captured a lot of attention from people. But really, it's just been the guys have pushed things forward to help this out. Like, I, in the very beginning, initially, I asked them. I was like, hey, we just got a book deal for this thing. And they're asking for 30 pictures. And I said, yes. But uh, what they don't know is I don't have anything. 
you know, so it's going <laughs> to take, it's going to take you guys. I don't have anything. I had maybe five grainy Facebook pictures, you know, and I had nothing. And these guys just stepped up in droves and they've, they're the ones who have enabled it. They've made this happen. And really, even though my name's on the cover, like every single one of them, you know, and you can even see it in the book. Like I, I tried to, I think the only picture of me is the author picture and I show up in one of the other ones, but I really tried to put them at the forefront and be like, look, this is these guys story. Like I was just there, but like, this is, this is us. Like, and right. this is what happened. Right. And it's, so it's, it's, it's more of a it's collective story. It's more of a collective than, than a you story. It, this isn't it, just about will. No, it's not. And the, what made it, easier to write is the initial manuscript was just will you know it was from my point of view right. uh and it follows that stream of consciousness but like when you started adding everything in it became something really special and i really think that that's where a lot of it shined through i mean i had feedback from the the publisher like some of these stories when you started adding in these other guys this is when it really came to life for us and i agree i think that once that became there, it really pushed me to hold myself to the fire of making sure that this was something that was a great representation of these guys and this this great unit and this great portion of my life that it may have been to an extreme and stuff. But again, you have these traumatic moments and delving into those. I mean, you have 125 guys go into this particular valley. You're going to have 125 different stories. Right. Exactly. The, the thing is, is they're all right They're Every single one of them is correct because of it's the perception on how these people experienced it. So getting to that accurate picture in there, it was a challenge, but we really, we pushed it through and we put it through the, the process and stuff. And I mean, the guys have gone through this. Uh, most of the guys that were there have been through the manuscript mm -hmm. and they helped me develop it and they, are in agreement like hey this is the picture and out of this quite honestly you know this is this is history in front of us and it's wild to have been part of putting it together yeah it does sound that way so one of my my thoughts as i was reading it and you alluded to it was that you had to get dod approval and i was yeah. wondering what kind of approval you had to get my husband is a um, 25 year military veteran and I asked him, I said, like, can he just write this? And he said, no, I'm pretty sure he's going to have to get some kind of approval. He said, unless things have changed, he, he got out in 96. He said, unless things have changed substantially since then. And <laughs> so what was that like trying to get approval for this book? Well, with along those lines, let me like back up just really okay. quick and segment into some of like what you'll see out there today as far as military books. We have so much stuff out there, like, and I'm not marginalizing or discounting them and whatnot. We have a lot of books that come out of the special operations community. Mm -hmm. Um, it's almost like the market's just saturated with them. And what a lot of people realize is like those aren't those don't go through the DOD approval process. Matter of fact, after getting back what I did from mine, I know for a fact that stuff is not DOD approved because they would never, <laughs> some of the things said in there. So it's really considered military fiction. Um, and okay. even if it is, it hasn't been through that process. So like where this, I mean, this is, and I, I have a few of them here with me. 
and stuff. And I'm, you know what? Let me just hold up the actual, like these green NCO books. And it's going to be weird because of the uh, green screen behind me. But so, like, my old platoon sergeant came out and brought forward. I mean, there's grid coordinates in there, there's weapon serial numbers and stuff. I mean, there is the detailed, accurate accounts put in there, as well as everything from the guys. But when you reach out to the DOD, you have to, you know, first get that, hey, I have a manuscript coming forward. This is the time period. Because when you're over there, you assign, you know, you sign NDAs. Right. A lot of, right. you know, and it's like, hey, for 50 years or whatever, I can't remember what the actual number is, but you ain't talking about it. Um, so really, you have to bring this stuff forward and say, hey, this is this is what we got. And a lot of people... When I came back, you know, and even the publisher was like, don't worry about that side yet. And I, was, I just got that feeling like, mm, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to start the process. And once I started it, I think it was from the initial email to the end of everything. It only took three months. And I was surprised. I, yeah. No, I was like, oh, why doesn't everybody do this? This is easy. Well, then I started getting feedback that, hey, this that's three months. Like what? That's not normal. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, it's taken me 18 months in this. So then it kind of made me think like, oh, all right, let me, let me go back and see what the deal is. And I did, I, I contacted the reviewer and stuff. I'm like, what's your previous background? You know, what does this normally take? And he's like, well, all right, I'm former infantry. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, I oh, look, man, I really like this book and it really resonated with me. So we kind of push this to the front. Yeah. So but you do, you have to put in, you send an initial email and they, there's two people. There's the initial one. That's usually a prior service member. And then you have your actual person with access to the red side stuff. And they look through to where the military person might flag a few things. Okay. And then th that, uh, reviewer that has access to all of your, you know, there's the sipper and the nipper side. So like you'll have a non-classified end of things and then the red side, and they don't want people putting out red side stuff so i mean exactly. i did i got a, the manuscript back with the black lines through it and we were able to work around it for the most part on that just take away the identifiers from the helicopters or certain things that people would be like you know aha i know who that <laughs> is or i know where that was or i know yeah exactly and it's, it's mainly specific. people know this stuff exists but it's mainly placing certain units within certain areas at times that they don't want it to become a a thing so i get that right. i understand that right but it was wild it was wild to get that manuscript back with the lines and just see that and go oh wow like i guess i did see a little bit more than i thought yeah <laughs> i'm sure it was like oh wow oh I, I i'm not supposed to know that <laughs> 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 or not that i'm not supposed to know it but i'm not supposed to be saying it out loud anywhere. exactly okay, good to know good to know exactly so the title damn the valley you explained it a little bit in uh, a press release that you sent to me but why don't you tell the listeners why the title damn the valley so yeah damn the valley was one of the things that it came out to where even the publisher they're like, we're not really sure about this title. And I'm like, look, guys, the cover stays, the title stays. Those are two things that are really near and dear. And once I explained to them, you know, that damn the valley was a phrase that started being said. It really started being said while we were there. I mean, it's on some hats that were made up and it was on one of the plaques outside. And it's really something that's been echoed all the way back 
from Vietnam days. You know, I mean, those, those valleys, we, we don't want to be caught in the valley, you know, as a fighting force, you want to be on right. that high ground. Right. You know, and this really just exemplifies that feeling like whenever we would lose somebody there, you know, or later on to suicide, the phrase was uttered like, damn the valley. And hashtag and posted too. like people are posting things about that and it's damn the valley or dtv um and it just became a thing but so much to where the family readiness groups of the soldiers that served in there it kind of became something that dredged up old memories from them and they were like hey you need to stop saying this like but ultimately it was like hey this is our story too and we really think that this is part of it. We have this feeling of, you know, damn the valley in that place that, that took these lives and, you know, brought those extremities there. But it's also a hell of a story. And really, I, I don't think there's anything else that could have been the title for this once it was done. Um, it really belonged in there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it kind of sets the tone from from the beginning. I mean, you know, even as someone who who doesn't who's never been in the military, who doesn't, you know, has never seen a deployment like this, or I, you read the title, you know that it's not, the pages inside yeah. are not going to be pretty. Okay. Yeah. You're, you know, you're not going into this light situation. No, sure. no, this, this, is, this is not some fluffy romance. I mean, you know, you're going to see, I think it, that, you know, from the title, that you're going to see things. So we talked about the DOD approval. And you talked about how you had a lot of help from members of your unit. Groves, yeah. Was everyone positive about you writing or did you have some people who were not? There are, there's still a few. There's still a few that are out there and they're not sure what to think. And I think that they're kind of like, they're hanging back. They're at least, instead of, you know, speaking out angrily, they're at least holding their anger back and going, all right, let me first see, let me first read this. Some of them haven't read it yet. Some of them haven't been able to bring themselves to read it quite yet. Uh, I know some of them, I tried to send out anybody who asked me for an advanced PDF. Like once I had the final back, I sent it out. Um, anybody from first platoon and, or that I talked to in certain situations, they had a copy, you know, I mean, they, they had, there was segments from the very beginning that were shot out to the various people. And I tried to compartmentalize it and then grow the, grow it out just because I didn't, I wanted to be able to keep these portions, um, you know, organic. And I didn't want mm -hmm. others that hadn't been there to see it yet. Right. Right. But once it was complete, it went out to everybody and I'm like, Hey, look at it. But the scary part, you know, on my end too, is that I know for me, there was chapters that I wrote, you know, with tears flowing down my face kind of thing. And I knew that I had to push through that side. And I'm like, this emotion will come through in the pages. Like, this is for something. It's okay. Like, deal with this and talk to somebody afterwards about it once you're done. But um, my fear was that some of these guys would be affected in a way to where, you know, this would cause issues and stuff to, to bubble up to the surface. Right, right. And with some of it, I mean, I, I, I did, I got people coming back to me saying, man, like I'm getting cravings. I'm, uh, some of them in particular, you know, olfactory smells, they were smelling smells from the battlefield, uh, whether it be, you know, something burning, um, you can fill in the blanks there, but 
in doing that and in facing some of that, it was done in such a way to where a lot of them were like, it was really good and it was therapeutic. And I always had, even the ones that were very standoffish, there's one in particular I'm thinking of to where he was very excited at first to help out. And then he must have talked to somebody who was, you know, upset about it. He became very angry. And I got the the nasty call of like, hey, F you, I'm not dealing with it. You're an asshole. Like, and, and I'm like, whoa, like, where is this coming from? And it pretty much came down to like, look, man, like, I don't know what you're dealing with inside, but what I'm hearing everything from you is that you want accuracy. And I've told you guys, and I'm willing to share this back and forth with you. And I want to develop this with you. And there's no other way to do that. And stuff. And I explained the process and I'm like, look, it's up to you, but I can't do this fully without you. There's one in particular to where you are the only one there and I need your help. And we kind of signed off. And three months later, he kind of came back to me and he's like, you know, man, you're right. I was dealing with a lot of stuff inside and I'm sorry. Let's sit down and do this. I've been dreading this call. But whatever the outcome and everything else, like, let's sit down and face it together. And we spent, oh, man, it was definitely over three hours. I want to say it was closer to five, like, into the night. And there were there were tears shed, you know, and there was things talked about. Um, but in the end, after the call, he was just like, you know, I'm really glad I did this. And thank you. And that meant the world to me. But also to be able to bring that stuff forward. And stuff and, and have that help others, you know, I mean, that alone is worth it right there, but then right. to have it help others and bring it forward. Um, there was so much that went into this and in, in talking with the families of the guys and then revisiting in my own head, like some of these places um, and facing that it, it was a really good experience, you know, but even, even in pushing through that, it's, it's not all easy. It's no, no, I can imagine as as I was reading it. And then, like I said, as someone who's not faced this, I several times had to stop and like suck in breath. And, and I thought how difficult this must have been not only to go through it the first time, which which I can't, but to continue to live it in your mind and then to force it out onto a paper. You know, I know as an author, I often write scenes that are like close to my heart and, and I can mm -hmm. feel emotion. And this, this is like far beyond anything I've ever tried. And so I can imagine <laughs> that that was a, like you said, probably both cathartic and terrifying, you know, to have those kinds of emotions being pulled from, from you onto the page like that. I Definitely. I mean, it had me constantly trying to like, make sure I even, you know, told the wife and everything. I'm like, look, if I'm, if I'm getting snappy and stuff, but I, I stayed in, I think a lot of it with staying in touch with the guys during it and talking with them directly actually made it a lot easier. Um, because we were really shouldering that burden together as opposed yeah. to facing it alone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right. So in your press sheet, you state right up front that you're not an author. You know, that this is not that. that being oh, the author's author, note. Yes. Yeah. 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 The author's note. Yeah. You said, you know, no, I'm not an author. You're not an author, but you wrote this really incredible book. What 
do you have in mind for it? Like what, when an author puts a book out for me, you know, my, my point for my book is, you know, I'm trying to build an author base and, you know, the things that I do and, and you had a purpose for this book and it had to be something other than I want to be an author because, you know, you state you're not one. (laughs) So what, what is the, what is the purpose other than the, the healing that apparently, you know, you've gone through by writing it and the healing that many of your members have gone through by you and them participating in the process. What do you want to have happen with this book? I mean, so really a big part of it was sharing these stories that again, like I had said before, there's stuff that's been out from the special operations community. So a lot of these conventional guys, they just, they feel marginalized. They feel, Oh, I didn't do anything cool. Or man, if these guys can write about this stuff, like, my experience over there wasn't anything and that's not at all what it is i mean yes this is i've talked to some special operations guys and stuff and they hear some of the stories from the things that happened over there and they're just like wait a minute this is all in one year like what that doesn't happen over here and you know and they're right honestly but those experiences a lot of the same stuff that we talk about in there is is just echoed it's echoed across the force so it was to share, I mean, it was therapeutic on, on my own, but it was really to share that message, but it was to share it for everybody and get them to start talking like as a community within the veteran community. A lot of times these guys don't speak up or talk out because like nobody understands me. And it's like, I've seen through this too. I saw through another work as well, but people are listening. People want to hear this end and they want to understand. So really some of this is to bring out that understanding within people, but it's also for, for within the community. It's, it's for us. It was originally really written for that boots on the ground soldier. You know, I know we use that so much. They just beat the heck out of their boots on the ground, you know, but this one really is it's, what separates something like this is you find a nonfiction about a battlefield. It's usually written by a general um, and it's dry and they were actually there. You know, they're just writing it from these accounts and stuff. So where this is, this is flipped around. This is flipped on its head. This is the guy on the ground looking up saying, Hey, why, why am I here? You know, and I was able to get a bit of that larger picture from the general officers and staff that I was able to talk to along the way, which is phenomenal. Right. I have to say like being able to have access to that end was, you know, and, and again, people ask me like, how did you get a, a, a general to write your forward? And what a lot of them don't realize is that, you know, general Hodges there, he was the RC South commander. He knows, he knows of these incidents. As a matter of fact, there was uh one of them in there. That's a, it's called the one five Oh eight incident that we responded to that had happened down the road from us, but he flew in to do the battle drill assessment on afterwards to find out, Hey, what exactly happened? Eight people died in this incident. You know, why, what happened? Where was the breakdown? And when I started talking to, you know, him and um, Petraeus about that overall battle picture on what was happening there, he started to realize, oh my God, I know exactly who you are yeah. <laughs> and where you guys came from. Like, whoa, this is blowing my mind, you know? Right, and right. It, it was neat. And it was really cool too, to have someone at that level where you would never think 
he was tracking what the little guy was doing. They know. It's so wild. Those guys are, um, matter of fact, Petraeus knows, uh, General Petraeus knows a, a good amount of the guys that were in Walter Reed. He stopped by and saw him, and like he'll pull them out during events. Uh, one in particular, Jared Lemon has said, like, oh, yeah, he's pulled me out of here before out of a crowd. Like, it's just crazy. Right. These guys care, you know, they do. I think that's I think that's good for for everyone to really understand that there's there is a camaraderie that that actually like transcends the the those levels. You know, you've got your you've got your your guys on the ground and you got your generals yes. up there. But but in the end, you're all part of one brotherhood, sisterhood. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's great. So you mentioned that half of the people got a purple heart. Yes. That's, I mean, that's a pretty incredible number. Yeah. We In literally what time filled... period are we talking? Uh, so you have to look at too. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like this portion was compressed. I mean, we were, we started out in Helmand province. Um, they were trying to get us into the battle of Marja with the Marines and the Brits. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we ended up switching battle spaces into the Argandab. So really, this is a period of seven, eight months. And that was the bulk of everything. I mean, some stuff happened in Hellman, but that was really what you would look at as your conventional type deployment. A lot of hurry up and wait, a yeah. lot of just boring desert, you know, and trying to make sure that you don't uh, get complacent out there to where this was so, I mean, it was so kinetic. Uh, there were portions quite honestly, there was portions and and a lot of the guys will pop up too and be like, Oh my God, I remember that, but I had completely forgotten. But just because of how, how the pace was, how breakneck this pace was out there that you would get, if you had a chance to sleep, you would, you know, it was just like, Hey, I'm going to get two or three hours. Um, Myself and my platoon sergeant, you know, I have just not had the same sleep since then. Uh, we had, you know, in those eight months, there was um, an entire prosthetics ward over at Walter Reed. Like that was just everybody from <laughs> from Two Fury. The thing, it was full. Uh, we filled up Walter Reed with just the amount of people that were losing to, uh, you know, these anti-personnel mines. And it was... You know, absolutely insane. And it, again, it wasn't that, you know, it was poor soldiering or anything. This was happening across the board, right. uh, even even task force and some of the soft forces that were operating right there, the exact same thing. Like those years were very, Brutal. very dangerous years in that region. You know, that yeah. surge into Kandahar was quite the thing. So with a with a rate like that, essentially one out of every two people in the unit. Right. Yeah. Um were you wounded you yourself crazy enough and uh, this is at one point i had kind of had to face that like well you know it's only a matter of time you know because i i caught myself thinking to myself like all right who's it gonna be you know while going out on patrol one day right yes i mean you're you're down to one out of two it's me or him which one's it gonna be right yeah and uh you have to look at my my position in there was rto and so that's that's a radio and you have to have a radio on the battlefield, you know, and we, right. we started to 
offset it, you know, because we had another kid there that was out with us who was a, uh, you know, part of the fires team. But like, so we kind of shared duties as opposed to putting two people with radios out there. We shared duties and like supplemented because of how crazy the pace was. Um, but that was the, yeah, the other guys that were there uh, is uh, Paul Martinick. And then occasionally we had Jason Spotted, Sergeant Jason Spotted Horse out there with us. But those type of odds, yes, you're more than likely to hit one. And to face that and go, well, you know what, man? Like, you just have to stop thinking about that. You know, you can't get in your head about it because, quite honestly, if you do that, you're not doing your job. Right. You're not thinking correctly. So you had to back off and say, you know what? I am already dead. It's only a matter of time until this catches up with me. But until then, I'm going to do my the best job I can do for as long as I can do. And crazy enough, I mean, hey, here I am. I ended up not wounded. There was, uh, you know, a specific instance the the time after Christmas. Um, there's the day after Christmas when Specialist Jason Johnson was hit that everybody else there was knocked over in that IED explosion, except for me. And it's just unexplainable. Um, I have no idea how I got out of there without a scratch. You know, I'm extremely thankful. Right. You know, right. But maybe it was for the reason of bringing this story out. I don't, I don't know the full purpose. I just, I'm thankful and grateful I'm here and am able to, you know, do the things that I'm doing right now. Right. And sometimes you just never know. So I'm curious, you brought up purpose, which, you know, leads me into a great question, which is, do you feel like you were saved for a purpose? Like coming back from a deployment like that, where so many people were wounded and killed and, you know, friends and et cetera. And now you're, you're here and you're alive. And, you know, I know you're married with kids and do you, do you feel like you need to be doing something big? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, do you feel oh, like, Oh, I know uh, exactly. The do you feel like, there. do you feel a compulsion to somehow <laughs> like, like live not only your life, but the life of those who, who didn't get to Absolutely. Is that a question? I don't even know if no, I'm making that sense. Is, no, you're making complete sense. Like that, okay. that is literally what I've, I know I've thought it kind of cheesy because I have said that before. I've said, I feel like I need to live double because these other guys out there have not made the way forward. So if they haven't had the chance, but I've been pushed forward, then those times in where I might feel bad about myself or kind of take it easy. And then catch myself and go, oh, hey, man, like, what are you doing? Nothing. That's right. We can get out there and push <laughs> on it. <and> like, go. <laughs> and I know we need those moments of, right. of chill, but it's absolutely, it's led me to do a lot of stuff. And like, you know, when I, when I start to either feel bad or might slow down on things, that's how I look at it is I go, hey, like, all right, but how would they think about that? go and it kind of gives you a bit of that accountability um to push forward and to to really you know make yourself the best version of human that you possibly can and i think that really it's it's been the right way to look at things and i am here for a purpose for sure again i'm still searching on that end <laughs> you know I, th I think though that that it's the search that makes us who we are it is you it's know, the journey I don't, for sure i don't think most people ever really settle on the thing you know they settle on a thing 
And then that leads them to the next thing, which then yeah. leads them to the next thing. I don't know that, that we necessarily have a singular purpose. I think we have, oh, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? I think that we have oh, yeah. maybe like a, an identity that, that we're pushing forward and then that that's going to lead us to many different things that you can do. So like you said, with this book, you, you started with a book. Yeah. But you're also doing a lot of other things. You had an event. Tell me a little bit about this event that you had oh, on man. Veterans Day. This was, it was such a good, it was a good time. It was a good experience getting what a lot of the guys that were there, you know, afterwards, they're like, oh, that was a really good event. If they had known the <laughs> amount of scrambling in the background that was done. <laughs> wow like leading up to it was was nuts but so this particular event was held by really what felt like going home uh for a lot of this stuff and the airborne and special operations museum down in Fayetteville the way that they got integrated into the story it really has to do with with the guys but also the front cover of the book what a lot of people don't realize is the cover of the book, that's that's a real picture. That's a picture from the battlefield. So in this picture, they're they're pulling a flag out of some rubble. And it's a it's a thousand pound bomb that the enemy, what had happened was there's a thousand pound bomb the enemy had placed inside of a vehicle, and they ran this vehicle at speed towards the entry point to where the guys at uh little town called Dialcache. They were staying out of there. It kind of seemed to be the epicenter of where all this stuff was happening. So really the area where we were operating was so saturated with enemy movement that we ended up pulling our company apart and splitting up into pl platoon levels. So there's third platoon over at uh, combat outpost where, and we're over at combat outpost Johnston and the other group is over at uh, Cop Brunk. Same thing, Combat Outpost, Cop. Um, so they're at Cop Brunk. And this is, they're operating from there, just small patrols and stuff, constant presence. And this car comes barreling in and detonates. And it was so big. I was actually, so we're, we're over at Clickaway. At Cop Johnson, we heard the explosion. The shockwave literally through the door open from the radio room, the, the talk we were in. So the communications hut and I'm like, what the heck? And I run to the door and, and open it up. And there's a, a mushroom cloud coming up from that direction. I'm like, Oh boy, someone hit something. You know, I wasn't sure exactly what had happened. I'm like, Hey, you know, Sergeant Hill is in the back. You know, what the heck was that? I'm like, I don't know. Like, let's, let me, I'm going to watch the tech chat. I'm going to see what's going on on the radio. We'll monitor. I don't want to get on the net yet and see what's happening, but there's no word. And it took about, I mean, it was like two minutes. And then all of a sudden, one of the guys from there started getting, he climbed on top of one of the roofs with a handheld radio and he's calling in. They had just been hit. And during this, I mean, we're talking a good amount of these guys were buried alive and you could hear them screaming underneath the rubble. And they're extricating these people. And the, the person I got the story from that I present 
from there. And I, I didn't, I was a little weird about presenting it because this particular story wasn't from our platoon, but it was something that I felt really needed to be in this book just because of how extreme it was. So I actually went and found one of the former first platoon members that had been there uh, and started talking to him about it. And, you know, so specialist Brian Erickson. And I had no idea until we started talking that he had been at ground zero during 9-11 as well. And here's this guy who was a New Jersey firefighter who finds himself now on the battlefield of Afghanistan doing the same type of recovery ops that he did back in 9-11 and pulling these guys out from underneath the rubble and the dirt, you know, as well as reacting to possible follow-on ambush. Right. Um, you know, and just everything else that's happening around a whirlwind of, uh, of what happens in combat basically. And after they pulled everyone out and after they had found the, the dead Afghan children that had been buried alive under, or, you know, buried in there, they were killed in the process, unfortunately. Um, they came across the flag and it just didn't sit right with them you know, here's, here's this flag underneath this. And they began the process of pulling it out. And as they're pulling it out, someone, you know, saw that camera pouch and they snapped this picture and it really became something that exemplified those feelings over there. That feeling of like, you can beat us up and you can knock us down, but you're not stopping us. We're here and we're here to stay. And, you know, I mean, they pulled that flag out and, flew it back up over the the outpost you know in sort of that spirit of the 82nd airborne really you know they have a poster out there that dates back to world war ii hey this is the 82nd airborne and this is as far as the bastards are going right you know um but after putting this cover together and whatnot and putting the concept out there brian contacted me and he goes hey well um i have that flag that's on the cover and i'm like wait what you know and i didn't quite understand exactly and he's like no when we left like i took that flag with us and i have it at my house you know is there anything we can do with this and that is how the special operation you know airborne and special operations museum down in fayetteville came to be it was um when we had come back the the unit bought a paver out front that the the guys that we had lost over there there's a dedicated paver out front with their names in it mm-hmm. and stuff and i mean so there's already i i remember very vividly you know being out front after we had come back like during this dedication to that i remember that ceremony with our first sergeant and the guys all around us and it it really made this thing special and it made it like coming home and to be able to have that uh for the the book launch event for this to to dedicate that particular flag to the museum and to the dod historical archives to be preserved as well as a a bunch of the other gear i mean uh, i put the pictures up online of uh you know lee's backpack in this particular um magazine that was in his weapon that got hit with a ball bearing narrowly uh possibly and very possibly narrowly killing him you know killing sergeant lee um and just the different artifacts and the outpouring that these guys have had in order to bring this, the picture of this thing and this story to the American public, you can 
go down and see this thing on display at the museum. And that to me, and for these guys to put this book on their shelves and be able to show their kids and their, their kids to be able to bring their kids and be like, that's what grandpa did. Right. That right there. That's huge. It is huge. huge. I am, I am thrilled that this has turned into something more than just a book for you. That, that, oh, it same. Is, that it is, you know, turning into something. It's almost got a life of its own, which is great. I, this has been the full intention the entire way. This is like when I initially sat down and I looked and I was like, all right, what do authors do? <laughs> right, they, they, they promote off their name right, all the time. Right. I was like, okay, we're not going to do that. Like we are going to create a movement because a person's fallible, you know, but if you create something like this and right like share these stories and stuff. I, I can guarantee you, and I already know that there's more coming. There's actually the company that was across the river from us, Charlie company. Um, they're a good 70,000 words in at this point. And so like, I mean, Fantastic. there's, it's Fantastic. to me, it's so exciting. And then also to have been through the process myself, I, there's going to be workshops coming, you know, yeah. in order to be like, Hey guys, this is how you bring your stuff out. Or even if they're like, I don't have that amount of stuff, but I want to share my story up on the official website. I put, there's a wall of stories and there's already been people to have submitted like, Hey, this is, this is my poetry and stuff. And I, you know, I tell people, please submit stuff, man. I will, it's behind a wall because I don't, there's certain things that don't belong up there, but I will work with you. If, if something comes through and it's just not right, I'll work with you to edit it too. You know, in order to be like, hey, look, that might not be respectful, but what about coming from From this this angle or what if if we what if we just changed up a little right here? And, and, you know, and these stories need to come out. And I I really think that through this, they will be. And it's been amazing. It's been such a rewarding journey. It really has. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that story, as you were telling me about the flag and and then flying it again, I I get I get very, (laughs) very choked. Um. My, my grandfather too. fought in World War II. My dad was in the Air Force. My husband was 25 years in the military. You know, military is a lot to me. And the flag is a representation of, of all of that. And so, it yeah, it mm, chokes oh, I me can up. see it. I, yeah, I, I, just, see it. I just took my husband to a, um, a Veterans Day. Our church was essentially honoring those people who had been veterans. And uh, I told you, my husband has brain cancer. And so going to things is is a little tough for him right now. And he went, he was, I I couldn't have stopped him. He was going to go to that thing if if he had to crawl there. And I I got him, I got him to that event. And um, the presenter did a a wonder, he just told a story about a World War II story is what he was telling. And it was a really, he, he did a wonderful job. And then he said something about, I love this flag. And then he stopped. Mm -hmm. And you could, you know, you could see the Adam's apple bumping up and down. And he, he could not get any more words out. And I look over at my husband, who's got the same thing. And I'm looking around the room at all of the other vets that were sitting there you know, who are being honored that day and everybody is feeling that same thing. Then I start looking at, at wives and daughters and we're all doing the same thing. And it's like, you know, I, I want to see that. I want, 
I want everyone who lives in this amazing country to feel that and to understand what people like you and my husband and all other vets from all services through all times have done to, you know, keep our country free and great and all of the things that we say about our country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so. I mean, really though, too, is the, the support. And so if I know a lot of the guys and stuff from Vietnam, it was very different for them. Yeah. They didn't have the support. And that's been one thing that I have to say is that really Americans and stuff, I think have kind of realized that the situations of Vietnam that they looked at and, you know, the outcry against it was not against the troops. It no. was the people yeah. in the government. And I think that people have kind of come to terms on that end and the support behind that. Yeah. They may not, they may not support a particular action yes. by the military, but they don't blame those in the military for the action that they yeah, that they yeah. had to perform. And, and they're right. supporting the intention exactly. of the troops as opposed exactly. to, yeah. And I think that, so, that that's that been huge. Yeah. So real quickly, you yeah. you stated that the VA has declared the unit to be uh, at extraordinary risk. Yes. What What does that mean, number one? And number two, what's being done? So quite honestly, I'm not totally, I don't know everything behind. And actually I do have a sit down coming up at some point with uh, someone who was the, um, really the national suicide director uh, with the VA and stuff. And to really talk about like, what does this mean with the extraordinary risk? Like, what are these labels? How do these, because quite, I've never even heard about that before until started getting into this. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? I'm part of some and unit I'm, that was whoa, like flagged, yeah. like, yeah. you know, well, yeah. And it's really honestly kept me, it keeps me in check and where I, I look at my own situation. I try to be mindful like, Hey, all right. So if I'm declared at this, and we do, we have quite a few suicides from that particular unit. I think the battalion, the amount at this point is up to like 30 people, wow. um, which, you know, after having survived something like this to me is a damn shame that you still have people dying from the effects on what happened over right. there. And it shouldn't be, but so there's a, they're, they're trying to figure things out. They are trying to, to put forth the efforts, but I know a lot of this stuff comes through, through private organizations and whatnot. And I know one in particular that was started by one of the wives that was over in this unit, uh, the independence fund, they started doing something called operation resiliency and it was about you know, our unit was the, the pilot program, this particular program. And they brought us all in. They flew us all down to Charlotte, North Carolina. And a lot of those guys, that's why they chose that location. A lot of them were still based around North Carolina. Mm -hmm. But where you see a traditional uh, military reunion type thing, you might see like 20 people there. Maybe if you're lucky, if they're really tight. This is 125 paratroopers descending down on Charlotte. Um, this was something that it was wild to see. But to get together in that pure capacity um, to face these sort of things, you know, because they did, they brought people in, but there was also VA clinicians to the side. So it wasn't, it was like a, hey, this peer group is good. And it's to get you guys start talking amongst one another. But when, you know, when and if this stuff bubbles to the surface, there's someone there 
to talk to as well as it being to where a lot of these guys may, they, they won't open up to a commission because they haven't been there. And they're like, they look at it that these people don't understand. Right. They might not understand the actual instance that happened, but they do understand how the brain works and how trauma works. So sometimes it's getting someone else, you know, like myself, that's had really good luck with the VA to say, Hey, look, man, like these guys aren't against you. They do care. And there are methods that work here. Like, why don't you come over and talk to them? You know, it's right. worked for me, you know, or even just the fact that through this exposure to these different methods that these psychologists and stuff use, um, I'm learning too during that, you know, and during this project has been huge in how to talk with some of these guys and stuff. If I get that phone call, like how to talk someone down off a ledge or talk some sense and be like, look, man, like you're going through something right now, but you need to stop. You just need to take that tactical pause, you know, just like you would on the battlefield, Listen to what's going on around you. There is always a way out. There's always a way forward. And it's programs like this, like Operation Resiliency, that show these other guys, maybe by, with, or through, you know, other guys and stuff that are there. And it's it's been incredible to see and be part of. And really, I'm so excited to see where some of these projects are going and where some of these possibilities, because we're we're living in a time to where people do care. They do. The eyes are on this. Yeah. And it's just it, the outpouring and stuff has been incredible. And I, I, you know, it's something that I want to be part of. And, you know, here we are. <laughs> I talked with my husband this morning and I said, you know, he, he got out, he went in in 71, got out in 96. Yeah. And I asked him about, you know, like mental health type programs. And he kind of shook his head like this. And he said, Nothing. I mean, lots has changed since I was in, but there wasn't a yeah. lot going on at that yeah. time. And so yeah. hopefully, you know, in, in those last 25 years, things have, have changed at least some that maybe we're moving forward a little better. I I'm hoping. Oh, we definitely know, are. Yeah. I have to say is that like one thing that I have to say about the VA is that any of the problems that I usually experience have to do with the upper echelons you know, or the, you know, the schedulers where it gets caught up in bureaucracy to where the people at the ground level, the actual, you know, nurses and doctors and surgeons yeah. and stuff are phenomenal. Right. Quite honestly, right. the VA has some absolutely incredible facilities and people that work there. So like when they're like, oh, you know, the VA is garbage. I'm like, no, 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 no. The VA is not garbage. It's possible. Maybe the, the system within the VA might need some some tweaking some tweaking yeah but and there has been some, there has been some tweaking i know that um yeah. initially when my husband was going through trying to get um, a disability rating the first time that happened it was a two year process and the second time that happened <laughs> it was a 30 day process so yeah. so things yeah. are definitely improving you know with without a doubt but you know yeah. that that two year process and that was a two years just to be seen Ooh. just to be seen um, and crazy. so things, you know, things are definitely improving. I, I hope that the mental health part is something that they're really focusing on because, you know, reading this book helps me to understand even more that what you saw, what you had to do, what you came home to, what you're still living with, you know, yeah. um, war doesn't end when the bullets stop flying. No, that's actually, that would 
bring me into something that somebody said who was reviewing it, who was a professional writer, and he contacted me and said, did you notice that in certain periods of trauma, the tense in which you wrote this went from past to present? I didn't catch that. Right. And you were really, you were, and that's, it. Yes, you were there. A you lot of these right guys, yeah. a lot of it, and they do every day. And that's something for people to be aware of is like, you know, these, these guys, sometimes the battlefield does not leave these guys. Right. Sometimes they are, they are living every day. That hypervigilance is there, you know, and they don't, they're not even aware of it. And I mean, I, I wasn't even so much, but in slowing down and writing this thing and realizing, whoa, you, you know, you might not have thought that you had anything but there's things but there it, you just there, never slowed yeah. down enough to realize it yeah well i think i think that when a person has trauma and we all experience trauma in some form or another that oh, sure. that we can we can heal it to a point but there's still what i call you know swamp gas buried up under there and certain things happen and and yeah up to yep. the surface it, it bubbles comes. to the and surface so, yes you know for you and when you were writing this book there was some swamp gas down there that you weren't even aware of and it came out in present tense and i think that's very interesting that that, that happened oh, for sure for so sure. what is next for will yeski what is next? Well, crazy enough, I, I guess sometimes I do things backwards. Um, <laughs> I do. Because like literally I wrote a book about uh, transitioning from the military service into the civilian life, but also like paying attention to these frameworks and different factors of success I had along the way. Like um, one of the things was, uh, you know, I, I blew up 70 plus pounds, you know, like a lot of us do when we left and it had to do with a lot of like life habits change. You know, you're not working out first thing in the morning. No one's over you about this type of thing. You don't really have to. So you're trying to think of like, Hey, you're, you're packing your time in, but it's, it's not really with the right things being on, on the focus. Right. And, you know, in, and that was actually one of the things is one of the guys that was on that deployment, uh, Sergeant Jason spotted horse. He had come down with Lou Gehrig's. And I watched him kind of waste away and it put in me that like, Hey man, like you were exposed to a lot of the same things that he was. Yeah. Yeah. What happens if this instance happens with you? Do you want to be out of shape and not prepared for your body to take a hit like that? Or do you want to have the best chance possible for your kids and for the people around you that care about you? You know? So, I mean, that led me to, you know, in a year's time losing 70 pounds and getting back into shape, you know, or, navigating through the the civilian sector within um within school you know a lot of guys don't use their gi bill like i think the percentage is just abysmal on who's using these services that are available to them and it's like right. that could be your tactical pause in between and put that education under your belt you know don't so be scared of going back to school step right right yeah so it's looking like it's very possible. That's the, I mean, I wrote this thing five years ago. My old CEO wanted me to put it out and I'm like, I don't know just yet, it, but now it's pretty clear to see that that's, that's probably what should so go out you're there. you're telling me is Will Yeski, who claims that he's not an author, is becoming one. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> 
slowly yet surely yet also probably rather rapidly yes that is, i, I guess see. it's part we'll of the see. repertoire okay. race car driver and author extraordinaire oh, fantastic fantastic <laughs> <laughs> so how can listeners who want to learn more about damn the valley um you anything else that you're doing how can they find you and where should they go to to learn more yeah. Good way to start would be the official website. You got damnthevalleybook.com. Um, you can go there and it has all the different, you know, the various branches off the social. But I mean, we're on Instagram, you know, and the rest of them at, at Damn the Valley Book. Uh, it's what Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube. They're, you name it, you got it. <laughs> it's across the board. They're all out right. there. I know that it's a little different. Uh, so like YouTube, it's actually kind of neat because like YouTube, I can put some of these long news segments that were actually yeah. aired by, I think one of them was uh, NBC, um, Bill Neely. You know, he came out yeah. there and spent a week with us, you know, and this footage is out there and like guys see that and they're like, but I mean, I reached out to, to the reporters and he sent me the raw footage of things out there i'm like man like just but uh yeah so damn the valley book.com um and you should be able to find everything that you need to find through there i mean they're all you know it's almost like a link tree plus right um but you can get the book through amazon barnes and noble i know barnes and noble was supposed to be out on the shelves and uh these copies seem to be flying off so quickly that barnes doesn't have any in store anymore um bookshop.org was sold out on day one the the publisher was sold out a week before this thing even kicked off so and i've watched it you know go into back order at amazon at one point and i was like whoa but um the response has been nothing short of phenomenal it's been great but i hope that the people reading this and the people interested in it like that it's for you guys you know i honestly got i it doesn't talk to your library you know if it's like i can't afford a 35 dollars book you know, get it into your library right. everybody deserves to read it it's i wish i could give them away honestly um and someday when you're super wealthy that may be happening right <laughs> yeah well hey i mean that's not one of the things during doing this is crowdsourcing uh, for every for every two author copies sold i actually it's not for me i uh take take those books and i send one book you know, I'm compiling a pile yeah. for the 150 guys that were there. And when I get to the 150, they're getting sent out to them. So for every two author copies I sell, one of them that enables me to give one copy to the one guys and say, one of the guys. Hey man, thank you for being a part. And like, I really appreciate it. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Will. So this has been William Yeski, author of damn the valley and we're super excited that he was able to be with us today thank you terry thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it like honestly i thank you so much thank you for listening to online for authors where i terry m brown author of character driven fiction and host of the podcast introduce readers to characters they'd love to invite to lunch tune in next tuesday for another podcast episode